Welcome to Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. I'm film critic Gary Cogill. Today on Wine and Film, a perfect pairing, two new films to talk about, including the hit film Logan, starring Hugh Jackman as an aging, burned-out Wolverine. And 20 years later, the great Danny Boyle returns to the streets of Scotland to reunite Ewan McGregor and the cast in Train Spotting 2. I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill, but today I'm going to put on my spirits hat to pair with Logan and Train Spotting 2. Toasting with tequila for Wolverine's Base in Mexico, and for Train Spotting 2, Scott from the Motherland. Wow, so no wine today. No wine. Let's, Let's talk do booze. spirits. Yes. <laughs> I like booze. I'm a I'm a good booze talker. We enjoyed a good cocktail as we as we watched Logan. Yes, we did. And then we, we got to Logan a bit later than everyone else. And and, and mm-hmm. I must admit, I'm just gonna say right up front, I think it's a terrific film. I think it's dark, it's violent, it's disturbing. It made me think a lot about the things in the X-Men universe that I normally don't think about because to be honest, I never have never cared that much about the X-Men universe. But then Deadpool comes along and now Logan and these are these are transforming films for me because I'm bored out of my mind with all the ginormous all X-Men the, movies. All the well, all the kind of comic book. Yeah. Well, not yeah, yes, and they, but they're they're doing a better job with they're doing, these. Yes, I agree. They're not knockoff movies, but they're, you know, this is the third of the Wolverine movie. But, but I am going to say that this whole thing begins and ends, and not just Logan, but the whole X-Men thing began with children. Mm-hmm. And they're especially gifted children, and then they're outcast children, and that's the metaphor for what do you do with a disenfranchised, right. and how do you treat them. And so the, I've always appreciated the message in the X-Men mm-hmm. movies. I just thought they were kind of like the early Star Trek films. They were always kind of addicted to mediocrity, and bigger is better, and I, mm-hmm. I wanted them to explore those messages more. Mm-hmm. So we get to Logan, and Logan, to me, uh, can we just talk about Hugh Jackman for a little bit? I mean, he, I think he's great in Les Mis, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted that film to be a little bit better, better. Yeah. but it was really good, and it yeah. was very high-end, and we're a big fan of that. But I think I've told you this story before. Back in, I think it was 1999, I was in London, mm-hmm. and I decided to go to the West End. To, I had a day off, so I decided to go to the West End to see a musical or a play. And I'm looking around, and there's Oklahoma on the billboards starring two Australians. So it's a British production of an American musical right. performed by Australians in the West. And I, I just had to go. <laughs> you had to see it. And I'd never heard of Hugh Jackman, and he was starring in it. And I remember watching him on stage, and the female lead was the principal dancer in the National Ballet Company of Australia. Oh, wow. Who can also sing. Mm-hmm. And it floored me. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, he, do, he gets Wolverine. Yeah. And uh, or he's in the X Men movies playing Wolverine, and I'm interviewing him, and I'll never forget walking into the interview room and looking at him, and I start singing, "There's a bright golden haze <laughs> on the." Me-. I start singing Oklahoma, uh-huh. and he starts singing it back to me. Nice. And I said, "I was in the audience," and and he, you know, we 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 bonded over that. He's got a musical coming up. He's playing P. T. Barnum in a big right. Hollywood film musical. Right. Uh, I think Michelle Williams is also in that. And remember him in Prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal. So Jill dark. So he's he's pretty incredible. I think that that and he has such a range. I think that that's what honestly for somebody just looking at a career, good on you for for yeah. for making. A, I hope that stacks doing the Wolverine movies because huge it's, stacks because it's allowed him right. to not only play this very fun character. I mean, you have to kind of think that's a that's a fun just a fun part to get to play. 
but then you get to do a Les Mis. Then you get to to have you can then you can do a play on Broadway. Then you can have such a, a diverse career. Which and, and and he just seems like he's such a nice guy. He is a nice guy, and he's a song and dance guy. Yeah. I mean, he's won Tony Awards on Broadway. I mean, yeah. this, this guy has a voice like a cannon. So if you can ever get your hands on the DVD release on or online of him doing Oklahoma on stage in the West End because it's out there. Yeah, get we've it. Watched, yeah, because we've we watched, watched some it. of the YouTube's on it. Yeah, get it and watch great. it. So now he's all burned out and Wolverine. Green's aged a lot, and Patrick Stewart's aged a lot. In fact, he's borderline senile and living in a some concoction of a tank. <laughs> yes, because that's the only way that he can be controlled. He can be controlled because when he's out of control, the world starts shaking and yes. everybody's exactly. eyes start popping exactly. out. Exactly. And then, and then, and Wolverine's drinking himself to death. Mm-hmm. His powers don't work quite as well as they right. used to. He's- People are mean and angry around him and trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. And and then he meets this girl. He rescues a girl. And this little girl who's never really been in a movie. She was in a brief television series, and that's it. Really? We don't know who she is. Her name is Daphne Keene. Mm-hmm. Plays Laura. And she's British-Spanish. Her mother is Spanish, and her, and her father is British. And, and I think she's great in this film. Mm-hmm. And she kicks butt in this film. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I guess that's his daughter? Well, I... I, I I don't know. I, you, you never really. I mean, is there I'm only one? Sure. Is there only one Wolverine? I, I sadly don't know the 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 comics enough to know if if was there ever another. Well, she's got the gene. Wolverine, so, yeah. and I don't know if if it's actually his daughter because she was she was made right. So, so she created with, with a little his, drop of him. Yeah. I, <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't know. All I want to say is... I did like the fact that she had a a blade in her foot. Because he just has his in his hands. And she had hands and feet. She is all in. She is young and she is powerful and she's great in this film. I think if this were not an X-Men film, I would love it just as much. Mm -hmm. Because this is really about protection of somebody who might be your family member. Or somebody who's like you. It's an aging guy trying to trying to. He's not trying to be young. He's just trying to fade away and drink himself to death. Well, and he. I think that that's it. It's his whole dealing with the reality of 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 life. Yeah. And, and can he die? And that's yes. And that's and can that, he die? Yes. He gets shot a lot. Well, and he never dies. Yes, he can die. <laughs> yes, he can die. And but. It's the end of the road for the. So mm-hmm. I, I never have thought about what's the end of the road for mm-hmm. all these all mm-hmm. these characters. And the end of the road is dark, and it's kind of like our road, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like a lot of people's road. And he's he's living out his final years, and it's chaos, and it's really violent and dark, and it involves a lot of children, and that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But I think in the context of the X Men, it's completely appropriate. Mm-hmm. Because it started with that, and in, and in this case, it it, it kind of ends with it. One thing about oh, Patrick, I don't think it's going to end. It's, oh no, 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 I think oh, no we it's just not. have a whole new. And this is James <laughs> Mangold, who I, I'm a big fan of James Mangold because he he did I Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon, that Oscar winning film. He did Night and Day, that Tom Cruise film. Mm-hmm. He did Copland, which was an, mm-hmm. one of Stallone's better films. He did Girl Interrupted. Mm-hmm. And he's in the process of doing the live-action remake of Captain Nemo for Disney right oh, now. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, and, and he's working on a film with Christian Bale. I mean, he's really uh, one of the really good guys. One thing about Patrick Stewart, before we g- get to this alcohol that I can't wait to <laughs> get to. Because yes. this is a good alcohol movie. <laughs> so in 2002, Captain Stewart played in a miniseries on television for TNT, The King of Texas. 
And I faintly remember that, but I'm not, I don't think I've, I, I watched it because I didn't watch a lot of TNT back then, but it's based on Shakespeare's King Lear. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's, he's, Basically, also based on King Ranch, the largest ranch in mm-hmm. Texas, which is I've driven through King Ranch. Well, it's you've driven for a while because it's, it's just under a million and acres. There, at the time, was no cell phone coverage, which is <laughs> not the thing you want to not have when you're driving. Well, his name is John Lear, and he heads. He's the head of this big ranch. His daughter is played by Marcia Gay Harden, and Lauren Holly are his two daughters. Huh. And Roy Scheider is in it wow. from Jaws and all that jazz. So I kind of want to go back. And look at that because I faintly that. remember and looked at the ad campaign and thought, eh, That's TNT. Be dreadful. Uh, so I'm a big fan of Logan, <laughs> but this takes alcohol. Yes, and and I agree. I think it was a. I was really pleasantly surprised. I don't really know what to think going in, and I I, I agree. I thought yeah. it was a really really. It was a very entertaining film, even if you're not a big X Men person. And it's pretty melancholy. Yeah, it's sad, but yeah. it's still you know. But yes. <laughs> Cocktails were necessary. It's super violent. And cocktails are key with Logan. And I say cocktails, but I think it's, as we saw, he just wanted to drink straight out of the bottle. He drank straight out of the bottle a lot. And there was a lot of... (laughs) He drank a lot out of the bottle. He did a lot of whiskey, a lot of... And and I will say tequila, because he is in Mexico for for a good portion of this. Um, And tequila is the the signature cocktail, uh, the signature, signature spirit of Mexico. Um, so, thought I would talk about a little adventure I'm about to go on. I'm going down to Mexico in a couple weeks with Patron. Which, Get over yourself. Which is going to be very Seriously? fun staying at the Hacienda. Um, and and it's kind of, you know, Patron is, has been a brand. It's it's certainly a, a, a higher quality. There is a lot of bad tequila out there. I don't put Patron in that that realm. I think Patron makes some really, really great products. They make yes, they a lot do. of it. Um, so, it is a big producer. Um, but it is all, you know, premium blue, blue Weber agave. It's all, um, made in a very traditional manner. We know the, the little kind of squatty bottles, that little green, um, tabbed silver bottle, as well as their reposado and añejo and kind of their basic line. But they have another one. And this is what I, um, I was introduced to it a few years ago and, and really, really love it because of the actual traditional kind of classic process that they use making their Roca Patron, which again is made in a silver reposado or Añejo style. And basically that means that it's either um, unaged, aged for a short period of time with the reposado and oak, and then for a longer period of time with the Añejo, which basically hmm. kind of adds those rich, um, kind of spicy, toasted, caramel kind of notes um, in progressive form into the tequila. But this this process that they use with the Roca Patron is, is a Tohana. And again, using the 100% Weber Blue Agave, roasted in brick ovens, and that's its hand crafted it's kind of the, one of their artisanal products so when you say roasted it's, so it's like a root isn't it's, it? it it's basically a flower and yeah. it, but it does but it's, it, big. it's it's you you take the 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 inside of of this agave plant and and harvest it and then you take the plant and you roast it in these these traditional brick ovens and then after you've roasted it in order to actually extract the juice, they, they press it in this volcanic two-ton stone that's called a tohana. Wow. And, and it's, it's, this is before the distillation and then either the aging, um, and then the, the bottling. Uh, I, I 
it it ha- it adds just a almost like another layer of earthiness and it's it's definitely something that's very handcrafted and that to me the time and the effort and and the respect for the tradition yeah. that goes into that I think is something that's really really special. I've seen some photos and some video of mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. and I'm amazed at how large those oh, yeah, plants are because the tops look like cactus mm-hmm. and then th- mm-hmm. that big kind of bulbous stalk is what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yes, you and go into the yes. into the plant and you get almost like the heart of an artichoke maybe. Yes, uh, times 40. Yeah. <laughs> and then it looks like they're cut with these giant not right. machetes but these big tools that they have right. they look dangerous right very much so i mean that's a skill mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to do that but uh, you don't make te- you don't make tequila real fast you don't it's not yes yeah. it's, it's a well you have to wait kind of like grapes kind of like with i mean so many if you think about the base of of every spirit of every beer of every wine it's it's something that has to be grown and and so you have to wait for these tequila plants to grow and so it is impressive i mean you know patron owns a lot of land in order to make as much tequila as they do because they obviously um it is a large producer but um very similar to either a scotch or a lot of different wines that the time and the effort that it then takes in in the aging process also like we talked about um brugal's um, aged rums a couple of weeks ago. You know, when you age any product in a barrel, that dedication and that um, the time that goes into actually waiting for those flavors to develop, you you have to you have to kind of be be prepared for that. And like a winery, when you go into a barrel room, it's the it's the space that it takes. Oh yeah. Well, and and it's going to sit there for a long time. It's interesting. You know, you can't uh, on conversely to a winery. You, you know, everything in a winery is about temperature control, but um, in in a lot of distilleries. They'll have barrels stacked, you know, five feet high or um, five floors high. So it's you can get a lot in there, and and often you you want the heat to to kind of um, permeate the barrel because that adds that much more flavor and and kind of extracts that much more um, intensity out of yeah. the wood that then creates these beautiful toffee and caramel and and orange peel and kind of dried fruit notes in in a spirit and you know there there are some people that 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 everybody has their kind of favorite spirit um, whether it be scotch or bourbon or rum or vodka Tequila is always kind of one that that's such a great base for a cocktail um, that actually has a lot of flavor versus like a vodka that often maybe doesn't have as much flavor. You kind of want the lack of flavor in a vodka, whereas in tequila, I think you do get all of those great either in the silver with more floral notes and spicy notes and then with some of the, the aged reposado. In your and uh, I'm going to say I've had a lot of different tequilas in my life and a lot of bad tequilas yes, early on we all have. early on in my <laughs> yes. life. And now I don't drink anything but good tequila. Yeah, well, And, and Patron is so good. It is. And there's, di- there are so many different kinds of yeah, Patron now, it's too. Exciting. It's, uh, raise your hand too before we go to break but raise your hand if you've been in a swimming pool in Mexico <laughs> drinking tequila out of a bottle with a cap off and your finger over the top and then you dive under the water and you come back out and you take Gary a swig raise your hand if you've ever done that <laughs> I don't know that I've done that I'm going to see you raising your hand young man <laughs> when we come back on wine and film a perfect pairing 20 years ago train spotting disturbed and thrilled moviegoers it put director Danny Boyle and a young Ewan McGregor on the map and we're going to answer the question is train spotting 2 just as disturbing just as good 
And we'll do that when we return. And we're back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. So do you remember train spotting 20 years ago? I do, but my memories have always been disturbing. Yes. I'm not sure that movie was ever intended for an Oregon kid growing up playing baseball and <laughs> trout fishing. Uh, train spotting for me was an anti-drug movie filled with drugs. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people misinterpreted the original train spotting 20 years ago. I think, oh, this is all about promoting drugs. I never watched that film and wanted it to be a part of that and what was going on. And yet it was a a movie about anarchy and it was a movie about personal expression and it was a movie about honesty. That wasn't my life, but it was somebody else's Mm -hmm. life. It's also based on a book. But but I I have always been a big fan of Transpotting, but I haven't rewatched that film in years and years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always also remember the music because the music Mm -hmm. disturbed me and thrilled me. You know, I was listening to James Taylor and War mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Funky and James Brown. This was anarchy and crazy stuff mm-hmm. that I was just at the time starting to get into a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it more even now. You know, the music drops that were doing it and what Danny Boyle was doing with that movie. And Ewan McGregor was so young. All these guys were so young. So along comes train spotting. Well, I want to ask you about, I mean, do you, you have, is your memory as disturbing as mine? Yeah, it, it, it's, it, well, and 20 years ago, I was a much younger person and, and actually was around a lot of, it was, I was around a lot of people that, that were in very bad places. Yeah. And so I, I actually couldn't, that's just, this isn't, this, yeah. this isn't my kind of thing. No, so. and, I, and I understand that. So Trainspotting 2 with director Danny Boyle, who, uh, we love Danny Boyle, mm-hmm. did Slumdog Millionaire and won the Oscar. He did 28 Days Later, the zombie movie. The, uh, yeah. which I'm a big fan of that yes, film. Yes, we are. He did 127 Hours with James Franco, the best thing and the only thing that I've ever liked James, James Franco, Franco in. in. <laughs> he did The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. And uh, one side note, Ewan McGregor uh, was originally cast in that part. Huh. But he, he broke up his friendship with Danny Boyle. And it broke up, and they didn't speak for years, and years wow. a sense made up. Uh, Danny Boyle also did that Steve Jobs film with Michael Fassbender and Kate Winslet recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, Ewan McGregor in Star Wars and Moulin Rouge. And, you know, he's in Beauty and the Beast. He's Luminari, isn't he? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's great in it. Mm-hmm. And The Impossible, that, that film about the tsunami that was so good. And then there's, uh, so uh, Ewan plays Bremer, uh, and then there's Spud. Or, or, I'm sorry, Ewan Bremer plays Spud. That It's another one of the characters that's reunited. Johnny Lee Miller plays Sick Boy, who's in Sherlock Holmes in Elementary mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. now. Uh, Begbie's played by Robert Carlyle, who scares the daylights out of me. He's all about <laughs> violence, and he screams at everyone, and he's horrible to women. It's about sorrow and loss and joy and vengeance and hatred and love and fear and regret and self-destruction. That's why it's hard to watch. Yeah. And, and they're always all in danger. I don't think these guys have really grown up. I think it's a really good film. It's it's a tough film, but I I connected with it because I think the music's interesting. I think they're trying to grow up. I think they can't. I think they're still involved. They're all still involved in just nefarious stuff. It is is it as good as the original? Um, in some ways, it's more watchable, hmm. and in some ways, it's funny. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because it's so creepy and disturbing. And yes, there's still a lot of drugs in it. 
and it's bad stuff, and it's not my life, but it's their life. And so I can kind of step out of it and watch and actually admire film as being one of the better sequels I've seen. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as good as the original, but mm-hmm. but really in the ballpark of the sense that you're not really trying to recreate it. You're trying to catch up with these people. And, uh, and of course, I'm just going to say for those listening that haven't seen it, it picks up, you know, at the end of the last one, Ewan McGregor runs off with a bunch of money from a heist. And 20 years later, he's never paid these guys back, and they're all trying to find him. And half of them have been in prison. One of them still massively on drugs. They're all still a mess, and they get out of prison, and they reunite. And he tries to hand them back some money, and Robert Carlyle, Carlyle is still kind of steals the film, is still really angry, and it's all boiling to a point where they're going to kill each other. But there's some humor along the way, and there's some melancholy and regret, like, man, I really messed up my life. Mm-hmm. But they're... Even though they say that, they, <laughs> they don't change. They can't help themselves. They just yeah. can't help themselves. I think that's, that's a lot of people that find themselves in that situation. I, I think so, too. And I, So I'm trying to be realistic about this. Once again, it's not my life, it's their life. Mm-hmm. And I look at this, and you, know, you kind of want to step in and help them. And what this movie does is kind of show them in an honest way. Mm-hmm. Because there are some likable, not everybody's all awful and all great all the time. Most of us are fairly complicated people. And it shows them in all those lights. I mean, at one point, one of them's trying to be a good dad, but most of the time he can't. At one point, one guy's trying to get off of drugs, but you see him going through withdrawal on his floor, and you want to help him, but you can't. Mm-hmm. And and at one point, he's trying to give the money back and have a normal job, but he's not going to last in a normal job. Yeah. And, it, and you know, they're going to they're gonna be involved in crime. They're all going to get, at some point, probably just get killed. Just get killed because they just can't help themselves. But boy, it's really interesting. And, I, <laughs> and I'm going to say this about Danny Boyle. He does camera techniques in this movie that you don't see in movies. You'll see a thousand movies and not see what, what he, he does, does with his camera in this, and it's all appropriate and all works. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by this. So there's technique in it and there's story in it. And maybe maybe that technique that he uses helps me watch some of the stuff that I'm watching. Because it's so hard. Because it's so hard. Mm-hmm. And they treat it with a with a not a lighthearted sense of humor, but you know, even doctors when they do surgery have gallow humor. Mm-hmm. Lawyers have gallow humor. Mm-hmm. People that work in newsrooms have gallow humor because they're around stress Tragedy. so much. Yeah, and these guys have gallows humor. So once again, it's not my life; it's their life, and I'm looking in, and I'm not there to judge. I'm there to watch. I think it's a really good film. Hmm. I'm, I'm the more I think about this film. The more I like it, and I'm I'm going to take you to see it at some point. It, if if you're up for it, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I don't blame <laughs> you. For, I really I don't blame well, you for skipping it because I, it's not everybody's deal. That's just it. I think I I I, I can appreciate always appreciate a, a well made film, yeah. which it certainly sounds like it is, and we do both like um, the work that Danny Boyle does so much. Uh, it's just it's just a really hard topic. Well, but that's I've, also a, yes. a great thing that that. We should have films that are hard topics. We should have that, that you know, and I appreciate you saying it's not your story. It's it's their story. You have to be able to to appreciate what goes into that. Well, that's what's, well, this is an overall culture. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to have a culture discussion here. But we have a lot of people in our culture that only want to be surrounded by people that think the same way they do mm-hmm. all the time. And they want to be around art that just makes them feel good. Right. 
And I don't think artists are supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. I think some artists do that really well, and I love them. I love Forrest Gump, Mm -hmm. but I love Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. And that's the same year, those two movies. And I love them both for different reasons. And I'm not going to cut one off because of the other one. And I, and I, I think this whole idea that every movie needs to be, you know, a Norman Rockwell painting and warm and fuzzy is, is just not. When we last week, a great example, we talked about Beauty and the Beast, Mm -hmm. one of our favorite films. Mm -hmm. But now we're talking about Train Spotting 2, and they both have value. Yeah. Yeah. And merit. And And merit. Yeah. And if it was a horribly made film, I'd tell you, and I wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. But this is a really well-made film, and I, I kind of appreciate it. Yeah. I kind of appreciated the update. I'm not sure they're going to do it again in 20 more years, <laughs> whether they'll all still be around. But, but that's tough stuff. And it opens uh, the plane lands in Edinburgh at the airport. And Ewan McGregor, and it's 20 years later, and they're all greeting them at the Edinburgh airport. So they're all over Scotland, I, I guess. I'm, I'm a little confused whether it's in Glasgow or Edinburgh, but I saw mostly Edinburgh in it. And we've both been to Edinburgh, mm-hmm. and it's really fun to see that. But this is not a tourism view of Edinburgh. <laughs> you see the you castle. You go to the castle. <laughs> you see the castle in the background, but, man, you see drug deals going on down yeah. here, which, you know, is probably not an unlikely. Right, yeah. right. So it's, it's you know, it's, I, we both have a little Scottish heritage in us. We, I have a lot. Um, so, yes, yeah, so for your hard, drug-filled, very disturbing film... Makes me think of having a drink, <laughs> well, <laughs> a drink with you know a, a good pint in a pub or or a cocktail served in a plastic cup seems kind of appropriate. That would be appropriate for train spotting too. Don't don't have a nice glass and it probably should be dirty. Well, it, and I would hope yes. I, at this point, hopefully they are using a glass instead of a plastic cup. But um, either way, it seems like scotch is appropriate. Um, maybe back in the day they would have wanted a a sweet cocktail, a cocktail that maybe had a little bit of, of a sweeter flair. Because they were we, so young? Well, because weren't we all drinking sweet cocktails when we were young? I mean, come on. Yeah. You you know you drank some white Zinfandel back in the day. Come I, on, we all did. Oh, uh, that's that was too high. That that was a high bar. Your Boone's bar. I sat in the bushes with a bunch of high school friends hiding f- from the authorities. Uh, drinking Boone's Farm Apple yeah, in the bushes uh, up on Mount Tabor Park, <laughs> which is a volcano in the middle of the city of Portland, Oregon. Very nice. Just trying not to get caught, but man, we had a couple bottles. I think Boone's, Boone's Farm Apple and Boone's Farm Blueberry. Which is so funny because, you know, Boone's Farm alcohol content is like, I don't know, yeah. not high. Well, we got a bottle of slow <laughs> gin one night Ooh. and mixed it with Diet Cola. <laughs> cherry herring. And, and the authorities all think we're just drinking cans. Exactly. Of, oh, yeah. Oh, no, that half of that slow gin, and then we're throwing up. <laughs> I can't. Okay. Uh, sidebar. Um, so your sweeter cocktail back in the day, I would probably say something like a Scotch Sour or a classic Rob Roy, hmm. which is kind of like a Manhattan, but with Scotch instead of bourbon. And you're certainly probably going to drink a blended scotch instead of maybe a single malt because do you really no and we couldn't afford it either well and if you want a sweeter you know once once you kind of i think mix anything and it's kind of like when people ask me what kind of vodka i want my bloody mary it's like you know the tomato juice is going to take over whatever flavor that vodka might have had that's true so a good blended scotch um famous grouse is a great one the the um from what I understand, the queen enjoys a little famous grouse. Um, Wait, spell that. Famous? Yes. 
They're um they're famous grouse. Yes. Okay. It's, yes, it's a blended scotch. Um oh, and yeah. it's also part of the family that does McAllen and Highland ah. Park and um which are two single malts that I would say maybe today would be good for the boys because they're now men and maybe they're enjoying a dram instead of a a sweeter cocktail. Um, we're both big McAllen fans. And they've I, got a little stolen money. Well, and they can probably afford it. And um, I love, like, McAllen 18 is probably one of my favorite scotches, just sipping on its own, maybe with one ice cube. Really neat, really clean. Um, lots of caramel and toffee and and kind of baking spice notes and and the the kind of orange rind notes and and a lot of of those characteristics that we were talking about earlier that that you get from barrel aging, especially eighteen years of barrel aging. Um, you can certainly go more, but um, like there's. I want to say McAllen 20 or 25 and 30 and, you know, good on you if you can afford it. But I haven't found, like, once you start getting into super, super aged scotch in the, the you know, 20 or 30 years, it does get very expensive. Outrageous. And what I think you, the, the flavor characteristics they certainly are more developed, but are they worth the price? I guess that that's kind My of... My answer is no, because yeah. once you get to 18, which is an expensive bottle... It's still expensive, exactly. Once you get to an 18 McAllen or an 18 of anything, right. um, it's fine for me. Yeah. yeah. And, and on half of those, I hope somebody else is paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a lot of 10s and 12s sitting around, and I'm happy to drink them. And, and love them, exactly. And, and they're all different. There's scotch is so different. Scotch, well, and that's the, the other side. You can have more kind of the peaty scotch versus more the floral scotches. And so it just kind of depends upon what your own personal taste yeah, is. Yeah, I get a little beat down on the super peaty. Yeah. I like a little peaty, but a lot of peaty, peaty, peaty. <laughs> Um, And then the only other thing, it seems kind of common, you know, uh, Americans don't do it as much, but now there certainly seems to be kind of a rebirth of the classic Boilermaker, but that was like always something in Europe, it wasn't very uncommon. In fact, often you'd get kind of a beer back if you ordered a a shot of of any spirit. Is that what a Boilermaker is? A Boilermaker is just a a shot of whiskey, usually, Mm -hmm. with a beer on the side. A beer on the side. You being a former bartender would know that. I, I might have. I might have. And it's called a boilermaker. Yeah, yeah. That's Purdue University are the boilermakers. Well, I think it actually has to do with with the the, <laughs> <laughs> the um, heritage of of the um, Irish and and when the Europeans came over to to have a new land in in America yeah. and what their jobs were. I learned a lot today. Um, Oh, can I ask you about, so um, I I had a trip to Edinburgh years ago, but you had one within the last five years. It was a while ago, yeah. Yeah, but you you have, um, well, you have a a couple crests, but you also have quilt? I'm I'm Scottish on both sides, so yes, so I have two plaids. Two plaids? Yes. Well, that's if you think about every, every kilt, it's made out of... A, a material that's often in whatever the clan's plaid is. So every so clan has two, a different looking plaid? Yes, and a different crest. And some, I mean, there's that many different plaids? There are so many. Well, and it could be so minute because I'm McClelland on one side and Hamilton on the other. Yes. And the McClelland plaid, there's also a McClelland. I'm L A N D. There's a just yes. L A N. 
They're two different plaids. They look similar, and it's kind of a light blue. It has a, a very thin uh, line of red, a thin line of white. Um, th- there can be very, you can have plaids that look a lot alike. My Hamilton plaid is is blue and, and green um, with a thin line of white. But you, there can be, like, within that whole genre, it's also just how it's spaced. If you think about how, how it, uh, how it's, how the, fibers are knit together, if you put your line here versus the line here, or the, you make it into a square, or you can make it into a, yeah. a rectangle, then that changes that changes the whole scenario. Do you we, become a different person. Do we have swatches of your plaid at home? I have, I actually, I have a scarf in my McClellan, and I have a, a um, I, I have a, a handkerchief kind of thing oh, in too. my Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're gonna have to get some stuff framed and hang it on the wall. <laughs> you Bigs, did that? You didn't know. I big Scotch family. Yes. Yeah. So my I'm a, real quickly, my only time to Edinburgh is I fly to interview uh, Sean Connery, mm-hmm. and I'm staying uh, at the Dorchester. Is it what, what's the name of the, the no the um the Clarendon the Clarendon Hotel because yes. I still have a little thing of soap yes. from <laughs> I still <laughs> which soap. is where I stayed yeah, it's yeah. actually a, um it's a Hilton property now and it was fabulous and you look you walk out the front and you look, and there's the castle yes it's right there. across from yes and so I'm interviewing Sean Connery and uh, and it's Sean Connery and he's been playing the old course all morning takes a break for lunch, and I'm first at 1 o'clock to interview him. And he's been playing golf in the morning. He sits down, and he's bigger than alive. It's Sean Connery. It's the hunt for Red October. And he sits in front of me, and he's got croissant crumbs all over his <laughs> green old course sweater. But he's Sean Connery, and nobody wants to tell him. And right before the cameras start rolling, I spend five minutes <laughs> brust- <him> <laughs> brushing croissant crumbs off of his sweater to do the interview for television for oh a goofy guy from Dallas. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Everybody's too afraid to talk to him. That's hilarious. And it, it was Sean Connery's. He was. It was that movie with. Oh, I can't remember. You know, it was like a spy movie, but uh, but it was really fun to be there. And then having having dinner with him at in the, the castle in the castle at a private dining room at the top of Edinburgh. Yeah, uh, you're was, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll someday I'll tell you about my excursion into the Scottish disco at two o'clock in okay. the morning. Yeah, that's another story. Uh, next, I loved Edinburgh. I uh, think it's just such a cool city. I think it's. A, it's I a think great it's, walking city. And it's old and ancient. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just when you think London is old, yeah. you walk around Edinburgh. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's one of my favorite cities I've ever been to in my yeah, life. I Next agree. week on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, more new films, including a discussion on the sci-fi thriller that looks a lot like Aliens, but it's called Life. And a close encounter with three times Oscar winning filmmaker, the great. Robert Benton next week. I can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for that. But for more on today's show, check out our blog on Cogill Consulting or through Facebook. I'll also have some fun recipes for both our tequila and our scotch that I'll have posted on our on our blog. Follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill. And to see what we're drinking now, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And happy birthday to my mama. Happy birthday, mama. How awesome. <laughs> Wow! With that, I'm Gary Cogill, and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Happy Birthday, Wine (laughs) and Film, A Perfect Pairing.